From Washington, D.C., this is the Korean American Perspectives, a new podcast presented to you by the Council of Korean Americans. Welcome to the Korean American Perspectives podcast, where we explore the triumphs and challenges of the Korean American experience and examine different sides of complex issues that shape our community. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Abraham Kim. I'll be the host for this podcast, which seeks to share the inspirational life stories of Korean American leaders and explore complex issues that shape this community. Last week, we interviewed Jeannie Chang, a licensed marriage and family therapist and founder of Your Change Provide, a therapeutic practice centered on authentic self-care and wellness. Her work is all about promoting a culturally competent approach to family, community, and work life. Mental health is such a broad topic and this week, we're continuing our conversation with part two. If you did not listen to part one, I encourage you to listen to that first episode where we discuss sensitive issues that many Korean American families are struggling with today. Depression, trauma, parent-teenager relationships, and suicide. This week, we'll be discussing another series of important topics. First, we'll talk about burnout. Burnout for both students and professionals, and how do we deal with that burnout? Two, uh, intercultural trauma, cultural gaps, and communication barriers between first-generation parents and second-generation kids. Three, uh, strategies for college and high school children to speak to their parents, especially first-generation parents. And finally, we'll touch on mindfulness and meditation and how these practices can heal your mind. If the last episode was helpful for teenage parents, this episode will be particularly helpful for our teenagers and college-level students. But again, all of this is helpful to learning more about ourselves and our mental health. Without further ado, let's go right into the interview now with Jeannie Chang. Hi, this is Abraham Kim, uh, Executive Director at the Council of Korean Americas. We welcome you back to our podcast, uh, The Korean American Perspectives. And uh, we're in part two of a uh, extended conversation uh, with our guest, Jeannie Chang, a CK member, as well as licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified clinical trauma professional. Uh, and if you haven't heard our last episodes about uh, her life and stress and trauma and suicide and, and, as, and how to talk about suicide with our children as parents, uh, I encourage you to listen to our previous um, podcast and then come back to the second one. But on this, uh, this podcast, we'd like to talk to her with a, a particular focus on students and young people and how they can deal with stress uh, and, and also uh, extreme anxiety. And also, we'll talk about suicide as well. So with that, uh, Jeannie, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me back again. Um, I just wanted to start off by um, talking about our, our young people, uh, mm-hmm. second generation students and even third generations now. Uh, college students and high school students, and you speak to many of them in your uh, in your profession. I'm wondering uh, if you could kind of outline for us what are some of the stresses that our young people are facing today. Yeah, so <clears throat> it's very interesting. Before I answer that question, to say that my background, I grew up. I'm a second generation Korean American. 
but I'm older than some of these college kids today, but they are also second generation, if that makes sense, right? So what's unique about my voice is I understand what they're going through, even though they're my kids' age, so my kids are technically third gen, um, and I understand their parents because I'm a parent. Does that mm. make sense? Even though their parents are first generation. And I say this because that's why I'm speaking more to Akshi College campuses because the reality is uh, stress, anxiety, depression is on the rise. Um, data shows that just life is, I think life is harder. There's a lot of things going on and on college campuses too. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, A, but I feel like college is harder than ever to even get into. Um, so you already have these stressed out kids in high school, they're all reared to go to college or being pushed to go to college. And then even colleges that 10, 20 years ago, state colleges that weren't that difficult are extremely difficult to get into. So I'm just sharing that's where just society is today, right? So it's, it's getting harder in general. And then we have um, the pressures of uh, the cultural norms of, you know, being a second generation college student. And um, what I see, I will say, what I'm seeing the most, and, and this is very interesting to me, but they're calling it burnout. Even when they're 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, you know how young that is, right? But they're like, you know, Jeannie, we're burned out. And I'm thinking, of course, in my head, I'm like, okay, so you're 19, right? And and I'm, I'm kind of thinking that's funny, but then I'm like, tell me more. Okay, this burnout, because the way I see burnout is when I see a lot of professionals. It's being burned out over time. Their field has, you know, just kind of put them against the wall and they're just, they're very stressed out. Their burnout, which is very interesting, is what I would call intergenerational trauma. So after years of feeling struggle, uh, struggling with their identity, you know, growing up in a first gen with first generation parents and then being pushed and then coming to college and they're proud of where they're at. Um, and don't forget, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina, so I see a lot of Duke UNC Chapel Hill, NC State kids, right? Very driven and very smart kids that talk about finally it hitting them when they get to college going, wait a second, all these years I've endured this stuff from my parents. And that's what they're calling burnout. And for some reason, and I want to say I'm, I'm talking to, you know, numerous students and even doing a workshop on it eventually, that they want to call this burnout. They're burned out from the stressors of their culture in the home that they somehow managed to bring into college life and it hit them when they were in college. I think it's because they left that environment. You know, you're able to see things more clearly and then you're in the midst of school and you're finally able to study what you want to study and you're excited with some freedom, but then you know how you get there and all the adrenaline. This is kind of how survival mode works. You're, you're, you're living on adrenaline all these years, maybe in that, in your family home being pushed and then first generation culture and no, you got to do this. You got to be this. You got to go to med school. You got to go to law school. And then you get to college, the adrenaline kind of like, you know, kind of disperses. And all of a sudden you're like, you sit and you think, oh my gosh, I'm tired. I just fought my parents for 18 years and now I'm college getting to do what I get to do. But then they're left with this burnout of having to fight over the years. Um, the, the, I guess the cultural conflict, right? So that is what I'm seeing. A huge amount, and I thought I just wanted to share that that that's what college kids are calling burnout, mm. their own generational, and it is called intergenerational trauma. That is a such thing, the trauma that they experience, their own stressors, and it is traumatic to them. Some of them when they were <clears throat> brought up being called um, names by their parents, or you're not good enough, or you better go to med school because this is what he's doing, or this is what your brother's doing, and what you want to become a historian. I mean, I'm just giving examples, and 
that hits them in college when they're apart from that and they can actually kind of soak it in. And I see them very worn down. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've obviously I went to college and I worked on a college campus as well. And uh, you see how different kids handle that, um, I guess, new environment when they go to college. Some kids completely unravel and and what were, you know, I guess straight A students and valedictorians in high school, they hit college and then they completely like go off the deep end in terms of they just don't care about studying or anything. And then you have another group of kids who are uh, maybe use that freedom to go in a completely different direction in terms of their life. And maybe they have a repressed creative side they always wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and then there are others who are just continuing on that pathway and continue to be that workaholic and they, and they uh, move forward. And uh, so it's, 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 it's interesting that finally there's a name for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Right. And you see, and it's all culture related. Yeah. It's all how they, it, and I'm not saying it's related to depression, anxiety, not at all. It actually, that's how anxiety and depression manifest, right. but it really stems from the cultural upbringing that they experienced, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and so I, this is, I, this is a, a reality that kind of hit me recently, but unfortunately the same things that I experienced as a student with my parents and, and having these conversations I couldn't have with my parents mm. still exist today. Of course, right? It makes sense. We were making strides in mental health, of course, but you still have first-generation families coming here, right? Immigrant families coming all the time and they're raising kids. So you're going to, oh, we're always going to be actually dealing with this so-called intergenerational mm -hmm. trauma, if mm -hmm. that makes sense, right? Um, for some reason, I thought in my head, it's going to get better because we're making these strides in mental health. Mm. We'll, we'll have more resources. And I think more clinicians are getting knowledge um, to be more culturally competent, you know, and how to address uh, Asian American issues and understanding intergenerational stress or what I also call acculturation stress, which is what our parents brought up, were mm. kind of um, de dealing with and they translate it to their kids. But the reality is uh, this will always exist. Because you're going to always have first, second, third gen. Well, right? is this a first, second gen problem? Or is this, are you seeing that in the, like us, you know, we're second generation parents and we have kids in college. Are you seeing that in the third, third generation kids? Um, I, I will say, I'll answer it twofold. I'm seeing just as much trouble in the third generation kids when it comes to uh, emotional well-being, okay? Um like stress and anxiety and depression and, and even worse in the third gen, because now these days that the latest thing is, you know, people self harm, right. And it's all on social media. So you do have like an infiltration of people going, Oh yeah. So she posted that she did this to herself. I'm going to do it too. That makes sense. So in that sense, yeah, it's, it's just as bad, but there's less cultural stress. That makes sense. So I don't think the third generation is experiencing as much intergenerational trauma because their second generation parents are more Americanized, you know, speaking English fully in the home, perhaps, um, much more communicative, but our third gen kids are, are dealing with probably the actual, um, stressors of society that are not related to being Asian American, if I'm making sense, mm -hmm. just what's going on in society today, like social media. Mm -hmm. I do believe someday there will be, there's something called the DSM. It's the, it's our, basically our manual, our Bible of the psychology field, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It's a long story, but it's basically where we go to that book if we need to diagnose somebody with all these codes. I believe someday when it's updated, I believe soon, um, the last version was 2013, I believe we will see like a social media disorder. 
I mean, that's just what we're talking about in our clinical field. There's going to be something there related to technology mm-hmm. or, and I love technology. Don't get me wrong. I depend on my phone and I think it's great. It's great for safety to know, to, for me to know where my kids are at, but there's also some, uh, connection lost. And sometimes I don't even, when I get some teens coming in, young college students coming in, I don't even know what they're saying. I'm like, wait, hold on. What'd you say? Because they're just, they're talking almost like, you know, OMG, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? I, I don't understand. Very slang, but also they're not as adept at having this conversation because everything is on the phone, hmm. right? Via Snapchat. So that is also part of the dysfunction. And I hate using that word, but that's what I use. It's a clinical term in third gen kids because it's all based on technology. So they don't even know how to have a phone conversation. You know, um, but talking about culture, no, I don't believe they experience as much of that cultural stress. So you would say third gen kids are, uh, more primarily if they are suffering from mental health, um, dysfunction, as you say, Mm -hmm. um, are, are more, it's more similar to the mainstream, what mainstream students are, are, are experiencing yes i would okay. say so okay. yes i'm Unless seeing so on right cultural now motivation. less now less asian cultural issues but you still got the cultural issues of a family where kids don't want to talk to their parents yeah. right in general yeah. and that's yeah. just not asian right so you're still going to see that um and i still do see that mm-hmm. but i'm taking a little bit of our culture out of this sure. for the third gen sure. right um, okay so how are today's students addressing mental health what are the resources and where are they going for help and and I didn't want to take this turn, but I will say when I, um, I kind of by, by accident uh, talked to this one group of kids who are leading this Asian American initiative at UNC Chapel Hill, and immediately when I shared what I did, it went to like, I was like, weren't we going to talk about your initiative? <laughs> you know, um, how they're addressing it is they, what the great thing is, is they're having lots of conversations and, you know, courageous conversations about talking about it more. So there's a lot of great um, a vulnerability movement going on. But then I also hear a little alarming fact where a lot of the students will say to me, hey, Jeannie, by the way, we, we go to campus. Um, we go to our campus wellness center or try to get mental health services on, on campus because we're there. But they don't understand. Um, so we're not really seeing a lot of Asian American uh, counselors on campus. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you have that. I just talked about cultural competency probably in the previous podcast, but a lot of the help that the students are seeking I'm talking Asian American second gen. Um, they, they're not. Their needs are not being met. So they are wanting help. So they're doing the right thing. But then I'm like, oh, this is serious. When you just told me uh, that you went to your counselor and a group of you went to different counselors and got the same response and it did nothing for you and just made you more depressed. That's actually what I've heard. Hmm. And this is not just in the um, Raleigh area. These are other college campuses. So I'm talking about a greater issue out there of actually um, providing you know, the cultural competency training for clinicians that are not Asian American, because there's, we're not all in, in, that, in this field, right? But the college kids have shared, we would love more mental health. We would mental um, health, health wellness or uh, counseling, and we actually go. It's free for us, you know, to go to the counseling center. But they said, but we get nothing out of it. And in fact, they actually leave feeling worse because they're, they're talking about certain things about their culture and the counselors don't understand. So... The second generation, um, Korean American or Asian Americans today are dealing with very specific cultural trauma issues, right? That perhaps you and I might've experienced. When I say trauma, it's just, even when I think back when my mom thought, you know, would compare me 
right, to your cousin who who might have graduated from high school at age 16. And yes, I did have a cousin who did that. And then went to Stanford and all, they, all she did was talk about that, right? And you're sitting there going, well, I feel kind of not so good. Um, a lot of what I see in the second gen um, that were raised like us is their lack of confidence. And, and that's what I tell them what, what, what I try to do is instill their confidence by giving them skills. And I don't really just hone in on mental health issues. I talk about like, what are they doing? Their strengths, what are they good at? And then that leads to a whole nother conversation when they say, well, what I'm really good at is um, drawing. And my parents would flip out if I went to um, you know Duke and then came out saying, by the way, I want to go to art school, right? And so you know that conversation. I'm laughing about it when you know that typical conversation. Yes, you're going to go to med school or you're going to go to law school or you're going to do this and this is what you're going to do and that's what you hear in your parents, right? And so one of the questions I get a lot um, is probably maybe I'm answering one of your questions is how do they talk to their parents about it? And that is a very uh, multidimensional question because when they come to see me, depending on who I'm speaking with and what their main, main struggle is, I kind of cater the therapy session that way, if that makes sense. And so actually a lot of what I do is educate parents on how they can help their kids. Um, and believe it or not, so the good movement is more parents, even first generation, because they're seeing a lot of media going on, social media, and their kids are um, experiencing some stress and everything. They are seeking help. The, the first generation parents today that maybe my parents had no clue about. Mm -hmm. So there is a, there's, you know, this is America. We're getting more, there's much progression toward mental health. So I think the first generation parents today are experiencing that, but the struggle of talking to your first generation parents, oh, that's such a, that's like a whole nother workshop. It's very difficult. Well, there's, there's language barrier, there's cultural barrier, and especially uh, how, depending on how the parents look at mental health, whether they think it's legitimate or not, for example, uh, you know, the solution from those parents may be, you know, just, you know, buck up and be strong or, you know, be, you know, you know, if I were you, I would have done things differently kind of thing. And so that's funny. That's uh, exactly the response they're getting. Or, right? yeah. or, or, or just the language <laughs> difference. Right. So mm -hmm. the, the child is trying to explain in English. The parents only, you know, primary language is Korean mm -hmm. and, and there's something lost in translation as well. And so, um, so there's there's a lot of hurdles there, right? In terms of just being able to really truly communicate with your parents and also their own upbringing. And so the and parents are bringing luggage into and experiences into uh, this relationship as well, and how they dealt with it. They assume well, that's how you should deal with it too. Right. Right. So. right. Um, but I think you were going to ask this question, and so maybe I'll answer this for you. How yeah. can how can kids talk to their parents? Yeah. Um, so this is, I, I would actually mirror the, talk, the mirror the answer that I would give to parents. How do they talk to their kids? I'd say, students, listen, you want your parents to hear you out. Maybe it's a career change. Maybe you're going to drop your major. Maybe you're going to drop out of school. Right. Or maybe not even that. Maybe you're just unhappy and want some help. So this is what you do. Just like I say to parents, be a student of your student, kids, understand your parents. So for a little while, even if you dislike uh, helping your mom... I don't know, make kimchi. I'm just giving an example. You know, this is where you need that connecting moment because your parents also need to feel connected with you on their level of what culturally works for them, right? Or what they feel comfortable with. And maybe you've always refused because that was part of the culture you just disliked. You're like, mom, I, I just can't stand this. You know, I want to do my own thing. Well, I ask tell college students because you need to get your way and you want to be able to talk and break through to them this decision you're making or whatever, then you do need to 
do what they want for a little bit. Not like the career. I meant maybe your mom's asked you to stop, um, I don't know, stop doing this. I don't know. Example is, oh, maybe your mom says, please speak Korean 100% of the time. And you're like, seriously, I don't want to. I go, hey, do it. Do it. During that time, you're speaking Korean. Your mom's so happy. Your dad's like, oh, that's good. Good job. You're doing Korean. And then you go in for the kill. (laughs) What you need to share because your parents are on that level of, I'm really happy. My daughter is doing what I asked her Mm -hmm. with this part. And then I will say it may not be taken well, whatever you're going to share, um, something that may go against your family or whatever, but I will say it will be taken better, if that makes sense. And you still might have that fight ahead, but you're not going to break through at all when you're already fighting them about the the cultural norms that are happening in your family, if I'm Mm -hmm. making sense. So I actually tell the students to be culturally competent too. Hey, if you know your parents prefer this tradition or do this this way, do it so you can actually connect with them. And there's one last fight for your real fight. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm reflecting back to a movie that both you and I saw, which was mm-hmm. uh, Happy Cleaners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and when you watch that movie, the opening scene is about the son wanting to be a chef rather than going to college, right? Mm-hmm. But, but it's more than a cultural difference there. It's the, from the mother's perspective, they sacrifice their entire life and the reason for coming immigrating and living this difficult life was to invest in their kids so they can have a better opportunity right but the but the son wants to do something that's completely different from what is the traditional norm Mm -hmm. and so uh, in some cases it's it's more than just maybe a cultural gap but it's it's from the parents perspective they've literally sacrificed everything so that that this child could have that important opportunity that they could never have right and then the and the child wants to do something different yeah, which to them makes look sounds like they completely discounted everything their parents had ever done, and so, uh, but in, in when the stakes are that high, I guess, mm-hmm. it, you know, how do you how do you talk to your parents if you want to be an artist or a chef or a you know a dancer or you know whatever the case may be, may not may not be being a lawyer or a doctor or right. And you know, you know, and, and uh, yes, so that story, that actually a movie um, is actually a, cl- a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. Do you know that toward, so people who don't, who haven't seen it, toward the uh, latter half of that movie, when the kid that wanted to go off and become a chef and, and um, his parents own a dry cleaners and they work their butt off, right? And their hope was, I think the bottom line is for parents is they, they, they don't want their kids to suffer like they did. I mean, that's, I grasp that later on in life, right? Mm-hmm. And you can appreciate it now being parents, right? You don't mm-hmm. want to see your kids suffer. Like, you know, whatever. You want them to be happy and healthy and not experience that. And that those parents suffered a lot working 12-hour days and they were tired and, you know, um, crunching numbers and all that. But what you saw happen was exactly what I'm talking about. He went in to help with the business, right? Naturally. Um, he was like helping them do deliveries or something like mm-hmm. that, that they needed the help to, I guess, survive, um, I think the situation was they were about to lose their rent or lease on the on the place. And he went ahead and went in, um, did some deliveries for them so they can earn some money. And during that time is when the... So I'm watching this from a therapist's point of view going, that's when the kid connected with his parents. Mm-hmm. And that's when the parents started changing. Mm. So I don't know if you saw that, mm-hmm. but that's when the parents were like, to the very end, he's, she's like, go ahead, you become a chef. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And and I don't know if he ever became one because the movie no. ended, but you never know. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, did I just ruin the movie? Um, oops, you can delete that out. 
<laughs> but I want to say what happened was he came in and helped with the business. And that's where the con- family connection happened. Mm-hmm. And you could see the change in the parents of becoming more communicative with their child. Mm. So that's exactly what I was talking about. Ha- kids, connect with your family too, as much as you're struggling with the culture, because I guarantee they'll listen to you more when you also meet them where they're at, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So so if, if students, um, both young men and women, who are maybe going in the middle of this difficult kind of mental health state or difficulty in communicating with their parents and clearly their, their family is not the place to find relief or help where, what, what are the places for, like you said, culturally sensitive area places where they can find help and support? Yeah. And that's a great question. And so a lot of the universities, I want to say they should have their own, um, Asian student associations. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them, I, cause I also, uh, recall in college, some of them are the party places, right? You know, you have, you have the caution against that. But I will say there's value in being part of your um, community, okay? And so that is what I'm seeing where they get fed. So they they know they identify the party, the Asian student associations that are more party-oriented, and then they, they identify the other Asian student associations that fit their needs. And actually, that's where I see a lot of... Um, good, um, good connection of fostering being helped on campus. So a lot of them actually get very close because they can't talk to their parents. And I'm talking Asian Americans, not just East Asian, I'm talking Southeast Asian, South Asian. Um, and I'm actually very pleased with how diverse our campuses are becoming where they have multiple Asian student associations. So that'd be my advice to a student, get plugged in right away. Um, if you're able to, to an Asian community on campus, that could be the cultural part that could, there could be a Asian computer lab, whatever it is. Uh, that's, that's kind of your interest, get plugged in so you can have that relationship. Um, so you won't feel as alone because though I guarantee you'll find some people to connect with you on that level where they can't talk to their parents because they're very traditional and you can talk to your friends. Um, that would be step one, you need a community. And then two would be, if you really feel you're experiencing and not able to function well, then I would say, please go on to get professional help. And that's where I went on to say, I'm a little concerned about some of the help on campus. Then you get to a private help. You know, you go outside of your school if you need to get it. But you don't want to be in that state of chronic stress that it gets to be very difficult. So I say, you start recognizing signs and I say, hey kids, you're smart. If you start feeling like you're not doing well, you go immediately to get some professional help. Mm. That's what they're. That's what we're here for. How about for students, for example, who are maybe not, in you know extreme cases of stress, but just wanting to feel pressure, but want to more be able to handle the stress in a more healthy manner. Mm-hmm. What would what would you you know recommend for students? Well, believe it or not, because they're very tech savvy. I actually say there's some great online resources, mm-hmm. really, and and that's actually part of why I give I do some online therapy now. But I say. Caution with the wind. Don't be sitting there Googling everything. But I go, there are some great YouTube and great, um, you know, uh, like uh, PDFs out there that kind of inform you on skills if you cannot go to somebody or you just want something on your own. But I will say that's good and all. But the number one thing, and I can't help saying this because I always talk about this Harvard happiness study, you still need to connect with somebody. Hmm. So a peer, you find a support group. I will emphasize your community is actually what sustains you in the long run in any sense of the word, not just college, everywhere, family, any, whatever that looks like. It might not be your nuclear family. 
Maybe it's your cousins. Maybe whatever that is, identify that and know that you feel safe there and make that part of your almost like a daily routine or whatever it is. You could be on a text thread with these people, right? And actually these days people do all these text groups, right? Snapchat groups. I actually am okay with that because some of them foster the community that they need. Mm-hmm. And some of them are silly names. I've seen some of the kids show me the, the names. Oh, they, they go, this is our band group. I'm like, that's cool. I'm talking about that because in the end, a lot of that stress and depressed depression that they experience, a lot of it could be uh, remedied by feeling like you're not alone. And so I'm all about plugging into a community. And if you need help doing that, then you go find help doing that. If you need to go to student resources, you need to find the community best for you. So I go immediately, you get to a college campus, you find that outlet, that club, that uh, student association, that hobby that can plug you in immediately because you will need that community. So number one is community, basically. Yeah. And then professional help when it's needed. Um, So, you know, to keep my physical health, I go jogging. Mm. every other day Good for, for example uh, or go to the gym uh, is there a mental health equivalent something that you should be doing as a as someone in a stress stressful situation be it a job or be it school yes that one should be doing maybe every day or every other day or so three times would, a week or... so that would be totally um a podcast three <laughs> no but that would be a concept of mindfulness that i always teach to any student to any professional Um, Something as simple as practicing deep breathing skills that you can literally do as you're talking to me. You could be doing it as I'm talking to you. Um, And... And, and that you can do every day, every moment of the day. Yeah, so it's it's mindfulness, understanding the moment that you're in and the stress that you're experiencing. And what you could do is understand how deep breathing works. And then there's other strategic skills like um, that I share. If you feel like you're in a toxic environment or in a toxic relationship with a coworker or persons, you are smart enough to know that, okay? And I'll say an example of strategic mental health Every day, you cut ties on that toxic relationship. I'm just giving an example that it, it might not be um, a, like a formal class or a formal therapy session, but there are things that you can do. And I always believe as a solution-focused therapist that, that you have your own strengths and you can find them. And I, my job is just to bring them out. So yeah, I say podcast three will discuss mindfulness skills, but those are what I teach for that very question you asked, what you can do every day. Um, not even every other day. You can do it every day and it's easy. And it might change the course of a decision that you you make. Like, you want to go yell at somebody? You do some deep breathing. You know what? She had a bad day. Your mind just becomes a little clearer to think a little better where you're not going to yell at that person, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just mm-hmm. a classic example. Or you write that email that you, you decide you're going to send a nasty email. You know what? No, let me do some deep breathing. It's not wise for me to send this, this email. I'm too mad. I'll wait. And then you wait and you find out you're less mad. So... Yes. So the question is, yes, you can't do things every day. Are, are there just uh, maybe a few specific resources that you could point to people to, to help? Um, meditation. Okay. So let me explain mindfulness and meditation. People are like, I don't want to talk about meditation. That's so like far out there. I go, listen, it, do you know that now there's meditation rooms in corporate America? Okay. Um, meditation is the awareness of nothing. Mindfulness is awareness of something. So understanding that alone is a big deal. So when you're going to meditate, I literally mean you just sit there and hear yourself breathing for like, I'm talking one minute just to be like, I'm going to think of nothing so I could just kind of get through my day. And believe it or not, it takes practice. So I tell people, don't don't poo-poo on this. Just please try practicing it. And you will see that it might change your attitude towards stress. 
You may understand the meaning behind your steps. The whole point of mindfulness is understanding the meaning of something. So when you see like, hey, maybe you just um, snapped at your son and you realize, wait a second, let me, let me do some deep breathing here. Okay. I snapped at him. It's not because it was him. It's because I'm stressed out because I had a terrible day at work. I mean, that's just, but that actually is being intentional and that is mindfulness. So resources wise, there's a lot online, but you know what really helps honestly is understanding the practice of yoga to begin the practice of meditation because people are like, I don't have time for yoga. I go, go to one yoga class and understand the concept because I don't necessarily go to yoga either, but then no understand that meditation is very strategic. It can happen anywhere. Right. But yeah, I mean, these are skills that I teach constantly and I'm always telling people you need to practice it. You won't be able to understand, um, this, your stress or why you're depressed about something. If you're not practicing mindfulness, that's why I'm such a big proponent proponent of it. Oh, and I do it myself. So obviously everything I share, I'm doing myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how can an organization like CKA help? I love that. Um, I heard you're doing more for students. Um, I would love to somehow advocate or have a platform where we could provide better mental health services for college students. I wish I could tell you what that looks like right now. Um, it can't be me running around college campuses, but maybe more, maybe CK, CKA can have a platform where they can advocate where there's more training for these clinicians on campus. Do you know why they're not very good? It's because some of these counselors are fresh out of grad school. And uh, they're at some of their grad school training. I remember because I did one, but I did it in community mental health for trauma. But they're not as well trained. These days, these college students, they're pretty bright. And they're pretty smart. So they need some well-trained counselors. So perhaps we can make it a platform where we're going to talk about how to you know, promote more uh, mental health resources on campus where you bring in licensed psychologists to talk to these students and not you know, graduate students, which a lot of them will get because they're cheaper, right? So, I mean, we're talking bigger level of funding, but more had t more attention needs to be made on the resources for college kids. I don't, I, so yeah, if CK, we, we could just talk about it and perhaps this will help, right? Someone listening <laughs> on a college campus. <laughs> so how can people get in touch with you if they want to connect with you? Sure, they could just, um, uh, well, thanks for listening, but they can just email me at Chang at yourchangeprovider.com um, and, and uh, I'm, best on email because sometimes I'm in sessions and I'm not able to talk or you could just check out my website yourchangeprovider.com so your, ch change your change provider, provider. so I like that because I want to promote change mm. right and provide that change um, and when you come to see me student young old I expect change to happen you're not going to come in and talk your talk your head off and I just go oh that's too bad no that's not my style my style is well you're going to talk about this and we're going to change um, what's going on how can you change and how can you make things better so you're not experiencing this? So that's why I call myself that. <laughs> well, thank you, Jeannie. Thanks for the, um, your insights and just these important tips, uh, how to deal with uh, mental stress and, and, uh, and, the many, and how to have a happier and healthier mental health. So uh, thank you again for coming. And, uh, Thanks for having me. We hope to have you on our next podcast. Thanks. I hope you enjoy this interview with Jeannie Chang. Jeannie brought up a lot of great things to chew on that I hope all of us are able to think about. But most important may be the fact that we do need to choose to prioritize our mental health. So often we find ourselves locked into routines, schedules, and work, and that normalcy can provide comfort. 
but we should always be striving to improve ourselves, better our relationships, and just take a few minutes each day to clear our thoughts and think through a particular situations or even speak with a clinical professional goes a long way towards maintaining a healthier mindset. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Korean American Perspectives. As always, we ask that you please subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at councilka.org for more interviews, show notes, and more. Also, feel free to send us an email at podcast at councilka.org with any comments or topics you may have that you would like us to cover. Thank you again and hope you tune in next time for the Korean American Perspectives. Thank you for tuning into the Korean American Perspectives podcast. Head over to councilka.org for the show notes of this episode and see exciting upcoming programs at CKA. That's councilka.org.